Okay, so guys, tonight, um, as you guys saw um, on our Facebook page, um, Pastor Aaron is our guest speaker tonight. And if you guys were here, if you guys were here for the first large group, um, I gave a little introduction to who Pastor Aaron is. And I said she was, you know, really cute. And small, but that there was so much power inside of her, right? And I said that the staff wouldn't be here today. The student leaders wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for what she has sown into our lives. Me personally, right? And um, I, I believe that what she speaks at our large groups is really going to establish the culture of what we look like here. It's going to establish what Emmaus at SNU looks like. And so every one of you... Um, I know that as you receive her words, it's going to not only change you personally, but what God does through you in our ministry as well. And so um, she is a co-lead pastor of New Philadelphia Church, which is a church that oversees Emmaus Campus Ministry. And she's the executive director of Emmaus, um, overseeing KU, Yonsei, and SNU. And so please give a very warm welcome to Pastor Erin Lee. And um, she's going to give us a word tonight. What's going on, SNU? Are you guys doing well? Yeah? Man, I've been out of the preaching game for like a minute, you know? Normally, I preach a lot, like for real, but um, because of some of the things I've been going through, uh, I haven't been preaching, and this is my first message back after like a a while, maybe like a two-month hiatus, so you guys are blessed. So you should turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be good. It's like pent up, pent up, you know what I mean? Pent up preaching inside. Um, no, for real though, I'm really honored to be here at SNU. And it's kind of crazy because back in the day when we first started Emmaus uh, at Yonsei, we used to like talk like, yeah, you know, one day, you know, we're going to be on other campuses. We're like, yeah, you know, but like when we said that, it, it was something that was so far off in the distance. And to finally be here at SNU and to know that we have this large group going on, uh, to know that we have you amazing students here is pretty phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it may not be as big of a deal for you guys, but for me, this is, you know, years of prayer uh, that have been sown in. And so uh, I'm just so blessed to be here with you guys tonight. Um, I'm really excited to share the word with you. And I know that I put you guys in good hands. Rona has been a good campus director, right? Some of y'all look scared. I know she scares me too sometimes. You know, I'm going to keep it real. But but there's a reason why I put her here, you know? <laughs> you know, she's amazing. And, uh, you know, as much as I can't be here all the time to meet with you guys one-on-one, to get to know you personally, uh, she represents my heart here on this campus. And let me tell you, she talks about you guys all the time. And it's kind of creepy because I know that when you guys see me, you're like, you know, yeah, I know Pastor Aaron because you guys have maybe seen me lead prayer or things like that. But the creepy thing is, I know you. Yeah, you don't know me that well, but I know all about you. You know what I'm saying? They come back into the office and we have reports. You know, I have them sit down, all my campus directors. I'm like, all right, what's going on at all the campuses? Who are the students that are standing out? What are some students that, um, what are some things that they're facing? And, um, you know, uh, Rona shares with me 
and, you know, brags on you guys like nonstop, you know? And so now when I meet you guys, I'm like, oh, you're Sanger, you know? Like, ah. oh, I see. You know, oh, you're the Malaysians. Oh, I know, but I heard about y'all, you know? You know, and so <laughs> I'm really, really glad to be here tonight. Um, I'm going to preach out of the Gospels today, and we're going to open up to the book of Matthew, and I want you guys to open up to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to look at verses 16 all the way to 26. Now, I'm a little bit sick. My voice doesn't sound this good all the time. You know, I wish I could sound like this all the time. I'm a little bit sick, but so are like 90% of you in this room. You guys are all hacking up, coughing. Uh, but, but it's going to be good. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, we're going to look at verse 16 to 26. Now I'll read a verse and I'll have you guys read the following verse. I'm reading from the ESV. If you guys aren't, that's okay. Just read from whatever version you have. It's all good. Okay. You guys with me? Chapter 19, verse 16 to 26. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Again, I would tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And everybody say, amen. Amen. All right, I want you guys to bow your heads with me. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is like a double-edged sword that pierces through our hearts and cuts marrow to flesh. And we pray, God, that all of the deceptions, all of the lies, all of the fallacies will be cut off tonight. And, God, what will remain will be a strengthened faith within each and every single person in this room. I come against every spirit of infirmity, every sickness, all the coughing, all the fever, all the just not feeling good, Lord. We just bind sickness right now in Jesus' name. We declare that in your word, it says, by your stripes, we are healed. And so, Father, we just declare healing over our bodies. We pray that our mind is alert, our hearts are open, and that we're ready to receive the word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. How many of you guys ever watched the movie Memento? Raise your hand. I'll see y'all are missing out. Now, Memento is like a movie from back in the day. I think I was in high school when it came out, and it's a crazy movie. And the concept of the movie is quite interesting. It's a storyline, but it goes backwards to forwards. So, for example, if we are in present day, it starts in the very present moment, and then the next scene is like five minutes before the present. 
And then the next scene is like 10 minutes before the five minutes. And then the next scene, so it goes backwards, so it's trippy, right? Now, I lost all you guys like just a second ago. But the concept of memento is you go backwards. And as you go back to, backwards, by the time you're at the beginning of the story, that's when you find out what the whole story was all about. Now, tonight, I'm going to go over this passage, and I'm going to pull a memento on you, okay? Now, this passage is something that a lot of people look at and think, okay, the moral of this passage is rich man can't go to heaven. If you got money, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's bad news. So the whole point of this message is don't make money, be poor, and then if you're poor, you'll get to heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, people look at this, and they're like, all right, being rich is bad. I remember when I was in third grade, I went on a trip to Maine with, like, a bunch of church people and family friends. And, you know, we went with, I went with a bunch of opader and anider, and uh, we were all hanging out, and I was always the youngest one. So, you know, I'm, like, in third grade thinking I'm cool because I'm hanging out with all the, you know, older kids. And I'm just sitting there, and I remember specifically all the onion opader having an argument about this passage, you know. And, you know, everyone is like the blind leading the blind. Nobody knew what they were talking about. And the conclusion that we all came to was it's bad to be rich. Okay, it's bad to be rich. You know, this passage is very familiar to a lot of people, and people use that to use this uh, passage to prove that kind of saying or that theme. But I'm going to show you that it has absolutely nothing to do with that. In fact, it's probably, you know, it's far from the actual original intent of of Jesus having this particular story uh, be in the Bible. And so we're going to look through why this story is here and what is the point if it's not being rich is bad. Does that sound good? Because, you know, some of y'all want to make money in this room. Let's be real here, you know? Okay, you guys, okay. You guys trying to pretend like I'm <laughs> not telling the truth. Please. Please. Okay, so we're going to start, like I said, we're going to go backwards, uh, forwards here. And uh, uh, immediately uh, we're going to kind of resolve the whole issue of rich people don't go to heaven. Why don't we start with uh, verse 23 to 26. Verse 23 to 26, it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay, simply just by verse 26, we've eliminated that truth. God said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, it is possible. So here in this passage alone, it says, can a rich man enter heaven? Yes or no? Yes. It's interesting. He says even early on in verse 23, only with difficulty will a rich person enter heaven. Does he say it's impossible? Does he say, no way in hell can somebody enter heaven if they're rich? Are those his words? No, he does mention it will be difficult. That's truth. It will be difficult. However, it's not impossible. So the the people, you know, who like to say that that's what this passage is saying clearly does, they just haven't read the whole thing. You know, or I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know where they're coming at, but they don't know their Bible. They don't know who God is because that's not the point of his message. It's not the point of what he's saying here. So let's just eliminate that right now from the get-go. That's not the point of this message. 
You know, one thing that I want to point out that's interesting is the disciples were astonished when Jesus said it's difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. Why? Because in Jewish culture, if you were rich, that meant you have the favor of God in your life. This is true for people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. If you look at the lineage, I like to call it the royal lineage, right? All of them were wealthy, okay? They had mad cows, you know what I mean? Cows are like the epitome of like BMWs. You know, when I walk in my apartment garage, we got Audis, we got Mercedes. Well, back in the day, you had cows, okay? So if you had cows, you were balling, all right? We had a lot of land. Land is equivalent to like fancy buildings, you know? Our forefathers, our patriarchs, they were rich. And that richness was a sign. It signified that God's favor, God's presence, God's glory was with them. So this is a Jewish mentality. If you're rich, God is with you. So for Jesus to be like, it's difficult for a rich man to enter heaven, people were like, hold up. I don't get it. Usually you being rich meant that God had his blessings on your life. Remember that. Okay? The disciples, it was, Jesus was beginning to change their paradigm, shift their understanding of what it meant to be with God. All right, so then what is this passage about? If it's not about rich people not going to heaven, what is it about? Go turn with me. We're going to go backwards again. So let's move forward. Verse 21 to 22. 21 to 22, it says this. Jesus said to them, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You know, what's interesting about this passage here is when this man first came, it doesn't say it in this particular story, but if you turn to Mark, Mark has the same account in it. And in the Mark account, this young man didn't just come by Jesus and say, teacher, what must I do? He ran to Jesus and got on his knees and said, good teacher, What must I do to have eternal life? This is a guy that was seemingly passionate to know the answer. And yet the moment Jesus says one thing, he turns around sad and he walks away. What was going on here? And it's weird because Jesus says, all right, if you're perfect, I love that he says that because homie was front and that he was perfect. He's like, all these I've done. Like, why would you say that in front of Jesus, fool? You know what I mean? Like, if Jesus was in front of you and it's like, these are the commandments, have you been following them? You think your answer would be like, yeah, to the T, Jesus. <laughs> Not missing one. You know, I got it all down. I don't know what this man was thinking. But here he was fronting like he was perfect. And Jesus was like, all right, if you would be perfect. I love how he prefaces with if. You know what I mean? It's like, if. If you would be perfect. Now, this word perfect is interesting because in the Greek, it's uh, teleosis, teleios. Dang it. You know, my husband's taking Greek. He probably would pronounce it wrong, too, actually, but teleios. Turn to your neighbor. Teleios. Now, teleios in Greek, it translates to totality, all-inclusiveness. The corresponding words in Hebrew for teleosis, teleos, is two words, tamen and shalem. Tamen means the one who does the whole will of God. And shalem is the heart 
which is undivided in obedience to God. So what Jesus is saying, if you would have it all together, we're talking about totality, all inclusive. If your heart is really undivided to obey God, if you are the one who does the whole will of God, then sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. See, Jesus is talking about this totality. All inclusive. Now remember that. We're going to go two verses ahead here. Verse 20. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Remember, we're going backwards, but you guys are with me, right? All these I have kept. Remember I told you about that bold, arrogant statement that this man just did? Well, here it is. All these I kept. All the commandments you just mentioned to me, I kept. But what is it that I still lack? What's interesting about this is even though the homie's coming a little bit arrogant, he knows something's missing. He says to Jesus, okay, I did all of that, but I'm missing something. There is something missing. You know what was missing in this man's life? He had no assurance of salvation. What must I do to have eternal life? That was his original question. That means that he wasn't sure that when he died, he would have eternal life. This man was very questioning whether what he had was good enough. Now, if I were to ask you a sober question today, right now, if you were to die, where would you go? I wonder what your answer would be. I wonder how confident you are in your ability to get into heaven right now. See, for this young, rich man, as much as he had it all together, he wasn't confident. In fact, the very reason why he ran to Jesus, got on his knees and said, good teacher, what must I do was because he was unsure. In fact, as much as he had everything, he had some anxiety about his future. It's funny because a lot of Christians today, they carry that same anxiety. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if my life is good enough. I don't know if what I've done so far is good enough for me to get to heaven. I don't know if my relationship with God is strong enough for me to get to heaven. As much as this young, rich man had, this is one thing he didn't. I don't have that insurance. My question is, do you? Do you have that insurance? Can you say where you're at right now in your faith and how you live your life, you can boldly say, I have the assurance that if I were to die today, what I have right now is good enough for Jesus to say, welcome, good and faithful servant. It's sobering. And for this man, he didn't have it. Verses 18 to 19, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, what's interesting about scripture is sometimes you got to pay attention not to what was said, but what wasn't said. The thing about what Jesus replied to this young man That's so interesting is how many commandments are there? When Moses came down of Mount Sinai and he had those two tablets, how many commandments were there? Ten. But here Jesus answered with how many? Five. 
In fact, in that order of commandments, he answered with commandment number five, six, seven, eight, nine. Commandments number one to four and commandment number 10 was missing. It's interesting, isn't it? Why would he leave those out? Doesn't Jesus think that those commandments are kind of sort of important? You know what I'm saying? Like, why would he leave those out? These are things that we got to pay attention to when we read scripture. Why did Jesus do that? And yet these are the very commandments that this young man said, well, I have that all together. Jesus, in fact, chose the very ones that this young man thought he had together. He knew. He saw straight into this guy's heart. And he said, I'm going to mention the commandments that he feels strong in. Let me see what he has to say. You know, the first four commandments that are missing, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. I think it's really important to notice what's missing here. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, starting from verse number three, I'm going to read to you the first four commandments. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And watch this commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Isn't that interesting? You know, what's funny is the Ten Commandments could be summed up into two. I don't know if you guys know this, but it could be summed up into two easy commandments. The first one for the latter half is actually mentioned in this Matthew 19 passage. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus himself mentions that in verse 19 here, Matthew 19, 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the first commandment that encompasses the first four commandments of the scripture is love your God, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Here is what the young man was missing from the get go. This is the very reason why homie turned away sorrowful and couldn't answer Jesus when he said, go and sell all your possessions. It's because what he did not understand that was required of him was love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. Why didn't Jesus bring that up? Why didn't he mention those four? Because he did. He 
confronted all four commandments with that one additional commandment. And that is go sell your possessions. Give it all to the poor. You know what Jesus was doing in that moment? He was confronting this young man's idol. He was confronting the very thing that stood in the way between him and loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He didn't need to mention the four commandments. He just needed to mention one additional thing. It was, homie, give up your money. And he said, I can't do that. I can't do that. You know, what's funny, you can tell what the idols are in your life by what you won't let go. The things that you hold on to are the very things you worship. So if you're holding on to something, bam, there you go. That's the thing that's prohibiting you from obeying the first four commandments, the first most important commandments. You know, before I met my husband, I was in a long-term relationship. My husband and I, our relationship wasn't that long-term. Actually, we dated for six months and we got engaged. You know, that's how people in ministry do it. We don't wait. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like we look at each other. You're cute. I'm cute. Let's get married. You know, we just don't. It's like two seconds long. But before that, I was in a relationship that wasn't, you know, necessarily pleasing to the Lord. And this relationship lasted about four years of my life. I've given this this time and energy and effort and, and my heart to this guy. His name was John. And, uh, <coughs> I know everyone's like, oh my gosh, you said his name. Ooh, yeah, his name was John. There's like 50 million Johns out there. I'm pretty sure you're not going to figure out who it is. All right. Okay. So his name was John. He was the same, uh, grade as me, but he was a year older than me. And cause he was a little bit of a fob. He came to America when he was like, and like when he was like 13. So he had that Korean, you know, what I mean? which is weird. Cause I would never go for a guy like that. I thought, but. Uh, no, his fobbiness intrigued me. So I was like, hey, what's up? Anyway, so we were in this relationship together for about four years. And it started off not so romantic. Uh, the beginning, From the beginning all the way to the end, it was pretty much a, a weird kind of not healthy relationship. Um, I, w- I came to college in another relationship. You know, I was, I was one of those people that just was always in a relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like after you break up like two weeks later, I'm in a relationship again. You know, that's pretty much my life story was I was constantly with guys. And so I went into college with the relationship and I broke up that relationship to be in this new relationship. Mm. You got to whisper that you can't be shouting that. You know what I mean? Okay. Let's go that. I broke up that relationship to be in this relationship. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, scandalous. What's worse was my original boyfriend went specifically to this college because I was going there. Yeah, scandalous. So I broke up with my boyfriend to be with this new guy who I thought was very intriguing, very different. And um, he was uh, someone that ended up being a drug dealer and lived like party lifestyle. And so... I don't know. I always, it's like, it's like girls that are dumb always go for bad boys. You know what I'm saying? No, no. Yeah. I should really say this because if you're going after a bad boy, you're dumb. Like for real, you know, let me just be, you know, like, because I think inside all of girls is we think we have this ability to change people. So, so when I saw this guy, you know what I'm saying? When I met this guy, I didn't do drugs yet. 
I, I actually had no intention of doing drugs. But when I met him, I was like, project. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, he's a fixer-upper. Oh, he's a fixer-upper. All he needs is a few little tweaks here and there, and I can make it into my dream, man. And so here was this project. And in, instead of me fixing him, I ended up getting jacked up, let me tell you. I thought I could get him off of his drug lifestyle. I ended up getting into drugs. And, you know, uh, he introduced me to, um, you know, I started smoking weed. I that's, you know, the gateway drug, you know, marijuana. You know, you learn that in, in middle school. It's true because I started out, you know, smoking weed. And next thing you know, I started doing cocaine. I started doing ecstasy. I started taking, you know, other people's ADD drugs in order to just study. You know, my husband was talking about being fully present and he was making fun of me for, you know, taking things like Adderall, you know, my husband didn't do a single drug. So when he sees me, he's like, Lord, I don't. I don't know how we even, you know, I don't, I don't even know how me and my husband got together, but I was in this terribly abusive relationship. It started off kind of dandy, you know, fun. Uh, when we, when we had fights, we just did drugs and we're like, woo, you know, everything's all better again. And then you come down on drugs and you're like, I hate you. I want to kill you. But then you do drugs again, you know, and it's just this terrible cycle of just nonsense and foolishness. But it was, a, it was a relationship where I had a strong soul tie. We call it a soul tie. And what I mean by soul tie was it got to the point where everyone knew I should break up with this guy, but I was irrationally tied to him. I couldn't get him out of my mind. And we, we broke up like 60 times. And every time we broke up, I, we just ran, ran back together. And it was because I had this tie with him, you know. And so it was a relationship that was just destructive started out weird and bad and just went really really bad um he got into gambling and you know back in my college days i say it like it was that long ago it wasn't that long ago but i'm like i don't know how true that is anymore um but back in my college days texas hold'em was like that's what you do you know what I mean? You get together with your friends. Everybody throws, you know, about $30, $10, $20 in the pot, and you sit for hours. You just shuffle chips. You know what I mean? And all, that's all I did. I just shuffled chips, and I just, you know, played Texas Hold'em 24-7. Well, I loved it. I was obsessed with Hold'em, and so was my boyfriend. But I never paid, like, big money for it because I actually loved the game. Like, even if I, it was, like, a $5 in buy-in, like, I loved spending six hours, you know, playing the game, even though I walk away with nothing. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but, you know, my boyfriend, he loved the money. And so it went from friendly group games to casinos to online poker. Online poker is like the devil because he started playing like five games at a time. And when you play five games on a time uh, online, you can lose thousands of dollars like that. And so he was losing heaps of money, like within 20 minutes I see him smoking outside, like sweating, stressing out. I'm like, what's wrong? Lost, you know, $10,000. And so he started stealing other people's credit cards, stealing from his parents. Like, it just got bad. I lost my relationship to poker, okay? And so at this time, I decided to go to a retreat. 
And when I went to this retreat, um, it had the foot washing. You know, some of you guys went to Scandalous Love, and, you know, I'm like, <laughs> like, some of you guys were like, you kept it together. But when I got my feet washed, man, I was like a mess. And, you know, it was an incredible retreat. And I remember the last night, you know, I just felt so much the love of God consuming me. And I remember hearing like a whisper, God whisper, not his audible voice, but it was a thought. And I knew it was God speaking to me. And the thought was, break up with your boyfriend. If you want to do this with me, you got to break up with your boyfriend. And I just, you know, I ain't thinking that myself. You know, that was the Lord, you know, and I'm just sitting there and I am stressed out because I'm experiencing the love of God. But as soon as that thought comes in, it's like everything was quenched. And I go right back to being cold. And I say to God, anything but him, I will give you anything and everything but him. I will give up the drugs. I will give up the stealing. I will give up, you know, the, the sex. We'll stop having sex, Lord, and then it'll be a good relationship. I'll, I'll bring him out. I'll get him saved. You know, I started just like, I'll evangelize. I'll read him the Bible before he goes to bed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I will do whatever it takes, but anything but him. Anything but him. This relationship, I can't give up. You know, that night, it was the end of my retreat. The retreat wasn't over, but it was over. The moment I held on and didn't let go, it was over. And let me tell you, when I went back home, I went back to everything with a vengeance. Went back to drugs, went back to sex, went back to clubbing, went back to drinking, went back to, you know, stealing, doing my lifestyle, went back full force, head forward. Because of one thing, I refused to give up. I was holding on to it for dear life. What you refuse to let go is your God. And let me tell you, that relationship was my God. That relationship was my idol. It was like a golden calf. You know what I mean? When you look at the Israelites, you're like, you guys are idiots. Moses is having this divine encounter and you're building an idol. Well, I was that person. You know, I'm coming at the retreat, but I'm still painting my little cow. You know, I got to get ready to bow down to this little sucker as soon as I go home because because this is important to me. You know what I mean? Like this relationship was something I refused to give up. This was my Christianity for about four years was this tug of war with God. Break up. No, break up. Anything but him. Break up. No, I just couldn't break up with this guy. And it wasn't because he was amazing. Let me tell you, it wasn't because the relationship was awesome. You know, it wasn't because I wanted to marry him. I couldn't even stand him. It was because I was so intertwined with this guy. Who he was was who I was. If I walked in a room, it's like, where's John? You know what I'm saying? If John walked in the room, it's like, where's Aaron? We were one. It's like we were married before we even got married which we did it. Praise the Lord. My question to you is what, what are you holding on to? Is it a relationship? You know what I'm saying? Let's keep it real. You know, God may not be shouting on the rooftops, but you know, you get that passing thought. Maybe I should give this up. Maybe this is something that's sort of blocking me from getting to know the Lord that much better. What is it? Is it drinking? Oh, okay. You know what? Let me be real here. It's not just bad things that blocks you from Christ. It can be even good things, but anything that comes before God is an idol. Is it studies? Oh no, no, I can't, I can't go tonight. I got to study. I got a big test. 
You think God's applauding you in that moment? Oh, good job. Way to choose studying before me. But God's studying is good, isn't it? Yeah, but nothing is good when it's number one. What is it? Is it your family? Maybe it's unforgiveness. You know what, God? I'll give you everything, but let me hate this person because you know what they did to me. You know I'm not going to let this go. You've seen what they did. You heard the words that they said. You heard. You saw how disappointed I am with them. So we're, we're good, right? We're straight, right? But here, no, I'm not, I'm not touching that. Now, even that you're putting before God. What is it that you're holding on to? Because that is your God. That's your commandment number one to four. This is the problem with the young, rich man, is he wasn't ready. Not only to hear what he was possessing and refusing to let go, but he wasn't ready to give it up. In fact, he made a conscious decision. You know how I know it's conscious? Because he left sad. It wasn't like, okay, well, (laughs) thank you, walked away. No, he left walking with his head down. He knew the decision he made. He said to himself, eternal life or my possessions. As sad as this is, I'm going to go with my possessions. And he walked away. You know, the funny thing is that's not even the beginning of where this problem started. It's not just the fact that he had idolatry. Let's continue to read up, and I'll show you the the key issue here. Turn back to Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to look at verses 16 to 17. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. The problem with this young man from the get-go was he wanted the answer to what? Not who. The reason why we do Christianity wrong is because we want to know what, not who. What is it that I need to do? I just came back from this retreat. I felt the love of God. All right, what do I need to do now? What, what's got to change? What, what needs to happen? What, what needs to happen? What do I need to do? It goes back. It's funny. You get this experience of God, and all of a sudden, you turn right back to religion. It's scary how the devil does that. But the spirit of religion is demonic. I'm not talking about the religion of Christianity. I'm talking about having the form of something and not the substance. I'm talking about the Pharisees, like having a clean washed tomb on the outside and dead bones on the inside. I'm talking about not what you do on the outside, but what your heart says and does and thinks on the inside. When those things don't match up, you got a religious spirit, folks. I don't care if you stop drinking. I don't care if you stop smoking. But if you're not pursuing God, guess what? You're nothing but religion. And here this man says, how do I satisfy religion? What must I do? And here Jesus says in response, wrong question. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. The number one reason 
for this passage being in the Bible is because Jesus wants to point you to who, not what. It's not about rich people not going to heaven. It's about what are you pursuing? Who are you pursuing? When it all comes down to it, it's about a relationship. You guys heard this. That's why we named the retreat Scandalous Love. You know, it wasn't scandalous to-do list. Scandalous checklist. You know, it wasn't scandalous what? It was scandalous love. We're talking about a relationship. When Adam and Eve was created, they were created for relationship with one another and they were created for relationship with God. The moment sin came in, let me tell you something about sin. It's divisive. It's not about, oh, sin is bad, bad. Oh, doing what commandments is, is good. No, sin cuts, it divides, it separates. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, you know what happened? Adam and Eve divorced. You know how I know their relationship just got severed? Because they couldn't even look at each other naked anymore. It was like, oh, oh girl, you naked, you know? And then, boom, bushes. Why? Because they felt shame. Immediately there was distance. Immediately there was separation. Immediately there was something blocking them from seeing each other, having a relationship with one another, vulnerability with one another. Why? Because sin came in the picture. That wasn't the only relationship that got destroyed. It was their relationship with God that got destroyed. As soon as God says, Adam, Adam, where are you? Like God doesn't know. God just, he just wants to know what Adam's going to do. Adam's Eve, it's God. We're in so much. Shh, shh, shh. You know, Eve's like, oh God, shut up, woman. You know, like, keep quiet. Shh, shh, shh. Immediately, all of a sudden, this intimate relationship that God had with Adam severed. Sin is so divisive. See, when we don't understand that Christianity is a relationship, we don't get the concept of sin. You know, me and my husband, we've been married for four and a half years. Okay. It's not that long, but it's long. All right. Four and a half years we've been married. Listen, if we have sin in our relationship, it separates us. If my husband lies to me, do you think we're holding hands singing Kumbaya and I feel close to him? No. If he says, honey, yeah, I did that when he didn't do that. Guess what? We're going to have some, oh, what? Oh, you made the bed? Oh, really? Actually, usually it's the opposite. I'm the one that has to make the bed and didn't make the bed. (laughs) Oh, yeah, babe, I made the bed. (laughs) You know, yeah, that's light. But what if my husband committed adultery on me? Oh, snap. Even thinking about it makes my blood boil. If my husband dared, you know what I mean, to even look at another woman, if he committed adultery on me, do you not think that my relationship with him is going to get affected? Do you think that I'm going to feel peace and good and excited when I see him? Or do you think that there's going to be some issues there? You think that there's going to be some separation there? You know, when me and my husband fight, we're like on the opposite sides of the room. I was like, don't mm -mm, stay there. You know, we have another couple. They're more holy than me and Christian. And when they fight, they've learned to hold hands. I was like, what? You what? They're like, oh, it's a trick we have because you can't stay angry long if you hold hands. I'm like, oh, man, you know what? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. They're like, no, Pastor Aaron, you got to try it. Because, you know, they're just like, honey. Now, when you said that, it hurt my feelings. You know, so we tried that, me and my husband. Let me tell you. When you're upset at someone, you don't want them touching you. All right. 
So me and my husband are getting into a fight, right? And he comes up to me and grabs my arm. He's like, honey, I'm like, get off me. And he's like, all right, this ain't working. This is going to work on. This ain't going to work out. You know, this is not going to work out, you know. And I'm like, go back to your side of the room. We are not touching right now. Why? Because there's this division. If there's anger, if there's malice, if there's unforgiveness, if there is wrong, to put it in layman terms, if there's sin in our relationship, guess what? It's divisive. It separates us. That's the same for your relationship with God. And you wonder why you come in here and you don't feel God's presence. Or you want to complain about how God's not touching you. Well, let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about what you've been up to. You know, yeah, we preach a lot about how God meets you where you're at, but there comes a point where you know too much. There comes a point where God already said A, B, and C, so you got to stop acting like a baby. These are the fundamentals of Christianity is learning about sin and repentance. And yet we we still, oh, I don't know why I don't feel God's love. Maybe because yesterday you were busy betraying God by doing what you did. But you're not thinking about it that way. Because it's either a good day or a bad day to do or not to do. You're not thinking about relationship. When I got married, that's one reality that I understood. Dang, the things that I do don't just affect me anymore. That's the one reality it just got, I just got hit with. It's a, it's a sobering thought. Here's this man saying, what must I do to have eternal life? You know what this homie's saying? I want to have eternal life. That's my goal. Now tell me the means. He missed it completely. You know what eternal life is? According to John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus came to completely eradicate what people thought was eternal life. It wasn't a ticket to heaven. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you. And that know is yada in Hebrew. And yada, it's the same word as sex. Now stay with me. Some of y'all are like, hold up, that's perverted. It's talking about an intimate knowing. See, me and my husband, we know each other like, listen, I don't want to know y'all like that, all right? I know my husband like that. He's the only one I know like that. It's an intimate knowing. He knows every in and out of me. He knows my likes, my dislikes. Listen, my husband knows me, and I know him, and it's an intimate knowing. That same intimacy that can actually be parallel to sex in marriage, that's crazy. That's what eternal life is. This is eternal life that they may know you. It's not that they may get to heaven. It's not when they die, they have assurance of salvation. It's that they know, you know what that means? Eternal life is right now. Do you have eternal life? Do you have it right now? It's this simple. Do you know God? It's not what Jesus said himself. It's who is good. I'm talking about a relationship When you understand this concept, everything comes into perspective. Now your paradigm gets shifted. It's not about, okay, good days and bad days and I didn't do this sin. It's no, am I pursuing a relationship? Am I going after God? Am I avoiding these things because I know this draws me closer with the Lord? Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says, Blessed who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Purity is not about do's and don'ts. It's about relationship. When me and my husband have purity between us, we're close. When there is sin, when there is lies, when there is betrayal, we're far. But when we're pure in heart, we're close. 
This is the relationship that God wants to have with you. You know, for some of you guys, it's not what you do, it's what you've done. Maybe you've cleaned up your act. Oh, it's been two weeks. I I haven't done that. But you still got some baggage you're rolling around. You know, when I was dating my husband, the short time we were dating. Actually, it wasn't that short. We got engaged after six months, but my parents opposed the marriage like hardcore. So we had to wait another about eight months before we got married. So we were together for like a year and some. And when we were just dating, we had this romantic stroll at Namsan Tower. You know, this is before covering, because if y'all try to do this, I can... You know, anyway, but you know, it was late at night, and you know, romantic... Actually, it wasn't this... My husband, he kind of walks like this, right? So... <laughs> so, like, I was like, oh, no, I don't know how... You know, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know? We're, like, walking up the mountain together, and... um I sat down, we sat down on this bench and I was like, listen, I had this weird dream. I had this strange dream and I just can't figure it out, but I, I almost don't even want to tell you because it makes me uncomfortable to tell you, but I, I just feel like maybe I should share it with you. And in the dream, I'm going to try to make it as brief as possible, but I was going to a funeral. You know, in the dreams, you just know things. And you're like, you don't know how you know them. Well, I knew I was going to a funeral. And so I started going through this store and I'm looking for a black dress because I didn't have a black outfit to wear. And so I get to this clothing rack and as I lift up each piece of clothing, it's see-through. Like every piece of clothing, I'm like, oh, heck no, I ain't going to no funeral. You know what I'm saying? Like looking, no, no. And I'm like, what the heck? Where is everything? And I remember holding up the last see-through outfit and I was like, I could never, ever wear this. People can't see me. And then the scene changes. You know how dreams do that. It's like all of a sudden you're somewhere completely different. And I'm in the bed and I'm making out with some random dude. And my, my husband, then boyfriend, is sitting on a chair watching. Can you imagine? And I'm like making out with this guy. And I'm like, oh my, what is he? You know, and the whole time it's like I knew I couldn't stop making out with this guy. And so it wasn't like I have to stop. It was why is he watching me? That was a thought that was shouting in my mind. Why is he watching me? Look away. Don't look away. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. You can't see this. And then boom, the scene changes. And then all of a sudden I'm walking back in the store and I'm walking down these steps. But as I'm walking down these steps, I'm thinking I'm going to find a black dress downstairs. And the steps keep getting bigger and bigger. And so I'm walking down and it's like a regular step. And the next step is like twice as big. And then it gets to the point where the step is taller than my own height. And so I'm getting near down to the last couple of t- steps and I'm looking down. And I'm like, I, I don't know how I'm going to get down there. And I look around and I see random high school people like passing by. Nobody that was my friend, just random high school people. I'm like, what in the world? And, and I know in my mind, you have to go down the stairs. There's no other way. You can't go back up. You got to go down. And so I'm looking down and I'm scared out of my mind. And I wasn't scared because I thought I was going to get hurt. I was scared because I literally thought I was going to die. It was the feeling of I'm going to die. And so I kind of, you know, when you're a baby and you can't go down steps, you do the booty tooch, you know, you get on the boop, you know? And so, you know, I position myself and I get, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how this is going to work out. And I booty tooch and I kind of somehow turn around and I'm hanging on to the ledge of the last step. And it's like everything inside of me is don't let go. 
If you let go, you will die. But I hear the voice of God saying, let go. I'm like, dang it. You know, I'm like holding on. I'm like, ah, you know, and I'm like looking down. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like so scared. And I just hear, let go. And I'm like, all right. And I close my eyes and I just let my hands go. And the moment I let go, boom, I land on the, the bottom of the, that floor and I see elevator doors and it opens at that exact moment and it goes, ding, and it just opens up. You guys are like, what the heck is she? Why is she even telling this? What kind of, yeah, PE, I had that same dream yesterday after McDonald's. All right, listen, there's a point to my story, all right? So I had this dream and I shared this with Christian and I was saying, I don't know why, but why I had that dream, but I just, I felt like I had to tell you. And he goes, I know what that dream means. I was like, what? Word? And he was like, you're going to your own funeral. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you're going to the funeral of the old you. At the time of our relationship, I had just finished my H&D. I just finished confessing all of my sins. I actually um, got a group of leaders, and I shared everything I did with them. Everything, without leaving a stone unturned. It was the first time I ever did anything like that. And the person that was leading that time, this is before we were dating, was Christian. He was leading my H&D. And um, he was saying that you're going to your own funeral. It's time to bury the old you once and for all. Like it's done. That person is yesterday. And, but you're shopping. And as you're shopping, you you can only find see-through, you know, outfits. And he goes, there's one more thing you have to be vulnerable about. And you're afraid to be vulnerable. And I was like, all right, well, continue. And he goes, and then there's that scene where I'm watching you making out with this guy. And as soon as he brings it up, I'm like fidgeting. You know what I mean? I'm like, let's not talk about that. You know, like, and he goes, that's the key to the whole dream. And I was like, Dang it, you know? And he said, the staircase, it represents you going back to your past. That's why you see a bunch of high schoolers everywhere. It resembles that you have to go back to your past one more time, but this time it's with me. You have to tell me everything, especially your relationship with these past guys. Now, in my H&D, I shared everything, but I didn't share, like, the nitty-gritty. You know what I mean? I was like, yes. I had sex with him and him and him and him and him and him. And him. I, you know, I was promiscuous, so I had a, a long list. Um, but I didn't go into the nitty-gritty of what those relationships actually were like. And so here's my boyfriend, you know what I'm saying, who, who at the time, was he the lead pastor? I think was like the lead pastor. And I was like, oh, goodness gracious. And he says, I need to know everything so that we won't have anything between us. See, most people think, let me get married. Hopefully that, that, that person did some stuff too. And then when we get together, we just sweep it under the rug and we get married. It doesn't work like that. When you get married, the things that you don't confess with your mouth, you bring into your bedroom. You know, there are actually accounts of people who, with women who feel betrayed as if their husbands committed adultery, even though they didn't. It's just because there's unconfessed sin. But there's blockage. They don't feel close. They can't feel intimate with their own husband because homie didn't tell her about the three people he slept with before her. So you don't understand whether you think it's swept under the rug or not. It's very much a part of you, with you, and in your relationship. There's only one way to get rid of that, and that's to talk about it. And so here in this weird stage of our relationship, for the sake of purity, for the sake of 
of clarity and with no boundaries in our relationship, I went back down those steps, even though it was so ridiculously hard for me to confess those things to him. I was so ashamed. I felt so guilty. I felt so dirty and disgusting telling him the things that I did and how many times I did it and all these nitty gritty details. You don't even believe I was crying as I was sharing it. As I was telling my husband, he went from sitting down, to like this, to like this, to by the end, he was like this. And I'm thinking, okay, it's over. This relationship is done. He's going to break up with me today. He's going to break. What sane person? My husband was a virgin when we got married. He didn't do anything with girls. One of the conversations that we had when we were just friends was, he said, I'm a virgin and I know my future wife will be too. He's just like that. Those were his words verbatim. I just know God's going to honor the commitment I made to my future wife by giving me a wife who was just as committed to me. <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, okay, you know what I mean? Like no chance. You know, you put people in bubbles, like maybe, you know, like, oh, I hope so. And then one's like, heck no. Well, he just went from the, you know what I mean? Like that ain't going to happen. And so I was surprised when he asked me out, but here he is, this man of God, whose testimony is just as powerful as mine, but it's more about the keeping power of Christ, and mine is about the saving power. God kept him pure. God kept him in this place of of righteousness. And here am I, the girl. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the judge in this scenario, and I'm spilling all these things, and I'm like, this relationship is done. And I remember looking at him, and he was on the verge of tears, See, my past didn't just include being promiscuous. I had been raped three times. And so it came with the territory of anger. It wasn't just choices I made, but it was choices that other people made that violated my own. In fact, the way that I lost my virginity was it was forced upon me. These are things that it's not easy for a future husband to swallow. Can you imagine your wife coming up to you and telling you how she was raped? I mean, that's not a happy day. And so here he is on the verge of tears. And I I look at him and remember I said these words. I said, listen, I will not lose an ounce of respect for you if you choose to walk away from this relationship right now. I will not look at you any less. I won't, you know what I mean? I won't judge you. I won't say, man, you know, you're not a holy man of God. I will respect you to the highest degree, even if you decide right now you're going to walk away from this relationship. So if you want to break up with me now, it's okay. That's what I said to him. I was so sure he was going to take the bait. And I remember thinking, having this simultaneously, this conversation with God and saying, if he breaks up with you, if he says, yeah, hold up, chill, girl, I can't handle that. This relationship is done. If he says, no, it's over. Do you still believe what I've done for you? He says, do you still believe that I've made you pure and righteous and holy? Through the blood of Jesus, do you st- will you still stand on your new faith? Will you still stand on your new identity? And I remember thinking about it, and I remember telling God, God, no matter what this man says to me, no matter what he does, my identity is purely and solely in you. If he breaks up with me today, I still know that I've been made pure. 
And the Christian looks up at me and he goes, you don't understand. And I was like, what? And he goes, no, you don't understand. Before you said a single word, I made a commitment to forgive you for everything you were going to say today. I was like, what? And he goes, no, before you said anything on the way here, I knew that we were going to have this conversation. And I decided in my heart that I was going to forgive you for everything you were going to tell me. And he looks at me, he grabs my hand, and he says, I forgive you. Can you imagine? Man, it's like I got saved all over again. My husband manifested Christ to me. In that moment, so many other guys would have walked away. But he looked at me straight in the eye and said, that's not who you are anymore. Ironically, the best part of that dream was the elevator that ding opened up, right? The long end of it is that my husband, he didn't mean to do this, but he ended up proposing to me in an elevator. And so I remember when he got down on his knees and he, you know, will you marry me? And you know, he recorded it and the whole recording is me going, ah! for like five minutes. I, oh, I didn't even answer him. He was like, well, you might, ah! <laughs> five minutes. And I didn't think about it. But the next day I remembered, oh my gosh, he proposed in the elevator. Totally not what he planned. He planned to propose on the steps of a palace of our first date. But I got diarrhea. <laughs> That's like another story. You know what I'm saying? It's romantic, but, but long story short, we had to, you know what I'm saying? We had to bring it to, we had to bring it to the elevator there. And he, he had no idea. I had no idea. But the next day I was like, dang, God, you're good. You know what I mean? Like, I remembered that dream and here it was in its completion. Listen, the reason why I'm telling you this story is not to just air out my, you know, my past, not just to air out. The reason why I say this to you is because God wants an intimate relationship with you, but there are steps you have to take. Me and my husband would not be having the relationship that we have today if it wasn't for me sharing those things and letting go of some sins in my life. I had to confess. I had to confess. And not just to God, I had to confess to him. We wouldn't have the relationship that we have today if we didn't walk away from some things that we knew we had to walk away from. When you understand that this is all about a relationship, things start getting put into place. Oh, I see. This is why I can't do that. It's not because it's bad for me. It's not because the Bible says don't do it. It's because it ruins and it severs your relationship with the one who should be your source of everything. Here's the saddest thing about this passage. This young man walked away because of riches and he passed up the greatest riches of all in fact jesus even made it clear to him in this passage he said if you would be perfect go sell what you possess if i were to replace that if you want to live in totality if you want this all-inclusive relationship with me because jesus is all or nothing he ain't about the itty bitty you know what i mean you want to talk about texas hold him he's not minimum bet he's all in He wants all of you. So Jesus says, if you want all of me, if you want totality, all inclusiveness, if you want this eternal life, which is to know me, then you got to let go what you've put before me. And you will have treasure in heaven.
What God is saying is everything you're holding on to, I will become. It's not we're letting go and we're walking away empty-handed. It's a trade. It's an exchange. And there's no other greater exchange in the world than this one. Yeah, you want to let go your idolatry to studying? Well, guess what? Jesus is going to give you the holy ambition that you need. He's going to open up doors that your college degree will never open up for you if you live right with him. You want to live? You want to talk about that relationship? Well, Jesus will satisfy that loneliness that you have in your heart. If you give that relationship up to him, he will be your riches in relationship. You got to understand because we think, oh, man, I can't let that go because I cannot have that in your life. Your needs are important. But what God is saying, let me be the source. Let me be the treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And Jesus wants to be the very treasure in all of your life. And so I'm asking you today, what are you holding on to? What would Jesus had to tell you for you to walk away sorrowfully? Because the question isn't what, it's who. And when you live life about the who, every sacrifice would be worth it. There are things that I give up for my husband, but he's worth it. There are things my husband gives up because of me, and you know I'm worth it. It may be things that I did my whole life. There are pet peeves that my husband has that he, you know, this is going to take too long if I go there. But every sacrifice is worth it. I don't care about those small things. And they've become small because my relationship with him is so rich. The point of my message is that God is the ultimate prize. That's what eternal life is. When you understand that the relationship with him is actually your portion. It's not about going to heaven. It's not something you reap later along in your life. It's something you reap right now. When you realize that, every part of your life can come into perfect alignment. And it stops becoming about, oh, did I sin today? Did I not? And it starts becoming about, dang God, you're worth it all. Dang God, you're way better than that. Dang God, I would sacrifice everything in my life just so that I can be in this relationship with you. I want you guys to close your eyes. Psalm 20, Psalm 73, 25 verse 26 says this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire Besides you, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When you look at your relationship with God, when you look at your version of Christianity, can, is this your confession? God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Because until you get here, You've missed everything. When you understand this, you can endure anything because it stops becoming about him healing you and it stops coming about the answers to miracles and and things of prayer and it starts becoming about whether it happens or not, God, you are my portion.
The reason why I had a two-month hiatus is because I had a miscarriage. My pregnancy was actually a miracle. But I lost my baby early on. I fought until 10 weeks of pregnancy. I fought for this pregnancy. But I lost my baby. I fought. I cried. I screamed. I shouted. God, you said in your word that none will miscarry. And none will be barren among you. God, you said that by your stripes I am healed. God, you said that I will be fruitful and I will multiply. I recited every Bible verse there is known to man. And I declared that there would be healing in my body. But when God didn't answer me the way that I wanted to, it didn't sever my relationship with him. Because at the end of the day, even my child is not my portion. He is. At the end of the day, the answered prayer isn't what gets me to lay down my life. It's my relationship with God the Father. That's it. Whether he answers me or not, I don't care. My portion, my cup overflows. That's the life God wants you to have. It's not become Christian and everything gets fixed wrong. Because you become Christian and things get crazy. But no matter how crazy things get, life is always sweet. It's always springtime with you. Why? Because God is your portion. For some of you, it's not indicative to your relationship with Christ. But you know that this is something you want. And in order to get here, you might have to do some hard things like I shared, walking down some steps that may be really big and daunting to you. But you know it's what you need to do. I'm going to leave you with these words. It's worth it. Not what, but he is worth it. Father, I just pray for every single person in this room. God, you know what it is that they're holding on to. You know what it is specifically to them that they're refusing to let go. And I pray that today you will give them not just the strength, but the reality of why they should let go of it all. I pray, God, that you make it clear that it's not about what, but it's about who. It's about you being our very portion, you being our very treasure in our times of need, in our times of of anxiety, in our times of hardship. God, it is you that is our very portion, our very great reward. And so as we've been changed by your scandalous love, I pray that from this moment, we won't pursue the ins and outs, but we would pursue a person that we would pursue Jesus, that we would pursue a relationship with you. I thank you that you're breaking every deception of religiosity. You're breaking every deception, God, of checklists and relationships being based on on what they've accomplished. And God, you're establishing them in the truth that it all goes back to what you've already done. And so I just declare that SNU is going to be a campus that's going to know you, that's going to proclaim you, that's going to declare you, that's going to live a life that so easily shows everyone else that you are number one and only you. 
And so strengthen each and every single person in this room. I just declare that hearts are shifting and lies are being broken off. And God, that you're establishing each and every single one of them in your very truth. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.